again and welcome to the North American Soccer Show. Once again, we're back with episode six this week with an MLS final, some big MLS news, and uh, go, heading to Europe for some conversations about some North American players. So a bit of a different podcast this week, but we're really excited to bring it to you. I'm your host, Dylan Baker, uh, and joining me as always, I, I've got Brady Reed with me. Brady, how are you? I'm doing well, Dylan. What an eventful week we've had, so I'm looking forward to diving in. Absolutely, absolutely. And joining us as well, uh, as always, is Chris Smith. Chris, how's it going? Yeah, I'll go. Thank you. Well, since we do have uh, several different directions that we need to go on this particular podcast, let's go ahead and kick things off rather than listen to me doing small chat between the two of you and all of that fun stuff. The big one, obviously, uh, from this past week is the transfer of Blaze Matweedy to Inter Miami. Now, when this story broke, there was a lot of talk prior to his signing that the transfer came off as a bit of a one-off. Um, Inter made really big efforts to bring in Will Trapp and Victor Ujoa to play in the holding midfield role uh, in their team, and Rodolfo Pizarro is one of their DPs in the attacking midfield. And you know, I, I know, I know, I'm going to let you guys get into it, but really looking at Blaze Matuidi's style of play and the the, the midfield three that Inter Miami had put together bringing in Blaze Matuidi as the third designated player, especially with all of this talk from uh, the ownership and David Beckham on how they would be focusing on using that remaining designated player spot for a forward. You look at a guy like Matuidi, you know, playing for PSG, playing for Juventus, all of these different titles to his name, 2018 World Cup winner, and you just had to assume that's a designated player if I've ever seen one. And come to find out once the, the, the signing was officially announced that he wasn't a designated player. They had figured out a way to um, to to obtain him via uh, TAM money or, or targeted allocation money, uh, and he occupies an international slot on, on uh, for their club roster rather than a designated player. So they can still go and look for a forward and have Blaze Matuidi in their side. Which, Chris, you just have to say that's considering Inter Miami's performance and MLS is back and considering how how much hype this team has had since they you know David Beckham first released uh, his intentions to bring this club to Miami 3 or 4 years ago y- you just have to think that this is a big coup and a huge positive for them going into the the MLS regular season here next week yeah it really is um it's, it's a massive signing i mean Honestly, at the point where I thought it was going to be a DP signing, I, I really couldn't work it out. Work it out. Um, I think a lot of us were, were scratching our heads over it. Uh, we all witnessed into Miami's flaws at MLS's back, and I think you know the the lack of goals was probably the biggest one. Um, but obviously, to get him in on a TAM signing and keep that DP slot open for for a forward is an incredible bit of business. I think everyone involved at the club deserves massive credit. I think this is probably the one of the first times we've seen the, the Beckham influence on the club, you know, being a former teammate of, of Matuidi's and sort of enticing him to come over here. It's probably a good move for him himself as well, being 32. He'll be winding down his career in a few years and can start building his building his brand over here for, for when he finishes. But on the pitch, yeah, as you mentioned, they've already got Trapp and Ujoa. They've got Lee Wynn as well, who's a, a very experienced player. But let's be honest, Matuidi instantly walked into that team as arguably one of the best, if not the best, midfielder in MLS. Um, he'll make him more solid at the back, more controlled in possession. Uh, he's got a lot to offer further forward. And, and given the the range of qualities that, that he does have, I don't think you're going to see another TAM signing in MLS this good for quite some time. Absolutely not. I mean, again, considering what he's done over the course of his career, and and like you said, with with Juve uh, having another big Champions League uh, exit this past season, you know that they're going to have to start trying to revamp their midfield and try and rebuilding that team into one that's actually potentially not built around Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, which we won't spend too much time on on, on that, but. Uh, uh, for a 32-year-old Blaise Matuidi, you have to start thinking that at this age and with the the position that Juventus is in, it it must be time to move on. And and you know, again, considering the relationship with David Beckham and considering um, the prominence that MLS can bring to a player's career, um, you know, especially for a guy that is as good of a midfielder as Blaise Matuidi, how much focus, how much fan dedication and support you can you can receive over here in in the MLS it has to be a big draw to him. And I'm sure they're, 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 they're paying him well for it as well. Brady, what, what do you think of this signing going forward for 
for Inter Miami. You know, I, I, like Chris said, it seems like it, it it's going to be that that perfect system player in terms of transitioning the ball. He's he he's he's great on, at a at a European level. You know, holding that line and 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 protecting his back four uh, and his center backs, but also he's he's a very creative midfielder. He's very dynamic going forward. His passing range is fantastic, and Inter Miami still get the chance to to invest in a forward that can really take them to the next level. Yeah, I mean, uh, we mentioned briefly there about Juventus crashing out in in the Champions League, and we don't want to dwell on that too much. But you know, it was clear that that change was going to come and. And quite honestly, that that's that, that still surprised me to see Matuidi go to Inter Miami. We've seen a lot of of massive names in European football. I mean, David Silva and James Rodriguez be linked linked with Beckham's team, but Matuidi wasn't one that I saw at least, and and I, I was certainly surprised. It caught me off guard, and and the only thing that surprised me more was that they were able to kind of land him on a, on a TAM contract as opposed to a DP slot. So. Oh, I think this is the first first strong example of of the Beckham effect that we've kind of touched on before, and 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 just kind of the advantage they're going to have with regards to recruitment, and just obviously his connections as a player, and and and, and just the you know the the role that he's had in in soccer in Europe. Um, yeah, I mean at at thirty three or thirty two, I mean, Tweedy comes over. He, I, I agree with Chris. I think he's immediately one of the best midfielders in the league, if not the best. And you touched on you know his his dynamism and. You know, he's known probably more as a defensive midfielder, but even for France in the World Cup, he often had to drift out left just just with Pogba and N'Golo Kante there in the middle. So, you know, he he, he certainly can do it. If he can do a job for France in the World Cup, I mean, <laughs> Miami have got to be got to be absolutely thrilled with this one. And yeah, it's not necessarily the position we often associate with these with these big name deals from European players, but I think he unquestionably makes this team better straight away. And you know, with the freedom to sign another big name player in that in that vacant DP slot, you know their their business overseas might not be done yet. Well, and you would hope. Not only does it showcase David Beckham's power in the international soccer world, but you would hope that a, a signing like Blaise Matuidi not only does what we've talked about, where it improves Inter Miami and it it really puts a good showcase on on what the league can do and and, and great reasons for uh, big name players uh, to to make the transition over to the states and to the league, but it also for fans has to show. A little bit of pull for what sort of forward they can be. They could be potentially expecting for David Beckham and Co. to bring across because if 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 he can figure out a way to bring Blaze Matuidi over on a Tam deal, think about what kind of forward he might be able to get his hands on. You know, a lot of the a lot of the folks that he that have been touched on haven't come to fruition. You know, I know the big, big the big one there for a long time was Edinson Cavani, uh, who opted to uh, not take that MLS contract, not take that MLS move. Uh, so it's it's exciting to see for Inter Miami, um, and it's exciting to see for for this team that's finally in it, finally producing results, um, and and hopefully that'll translate on the pitch. Brady, I'm going to stick with you uh, because the other big move that we need to talk about is uh, one of your countrymen uh, in Jonathan David. He got his big move this week to to Lille in, over there in Ligue 1 in France for nearly thirty million dollars. Um, the, a, a big transfer for a big name player or a big name young Canadian player, um, and to a club that has springboarded forwards into the limelight in recent years, with the likes of Nicola Pepe and uh, Victor Osimhen and Rafael Leal making big money moves just in the last twelve months alone. I mean, they've they've developed these forwards into into prime candidates for the the big clubs across Europe and done such a good job at that. That they're, they're they're again they're making these big money moves to big teams, looking it forward in terms of his future development. Really, over the course of the next couple of years, you would assume it's a hard argument to make that there's many better clubs for him to move to for that development. No, I'd have to agree with you there. I think you know right behind probably Borussia Dortmund, Lille has kind of been one of the great European clubs in recent times with regards to you know, giving young players an opportunity to shine and, and even play on the European stage. And then ultimately, you know, moving them on to these b- bigger clubs for, for far higher uh, transfer fees than, than, than they had to, to, to give up to kind of lure them in. So, yeah, I think this is a fantastic move for, for both sides. Uh, you know, just, just from the Canadian perspective, Lille's not necessarily a club that's, you know, necessarily known by, by everybody here, but I mean, I mean, they're, they're Europa league side. They've, They've produced, like you said, players like Nicolas Pepe, who's obviously gone on to 
to, to be a big player with Arsenal. So, you know, I don't think David was quite at that Alfonso Davies level where he was ready to jump into a, a side like Bayern Munich. I think possibly a move like that might have kind of hindered his development. So, I know, you know, people in his corner and people in his camp who decided that, you know, this maybe this is a layover in his career, but I think this is kind of a fantastic opportunity for him to still play at a high level, but make sure he, he's actually, you know, getting getting meaningful minutes and not and not watching on. So, you know, he made his debut for the club today in, in preseason action and, and he wasted no time making uh making his presence felt and scored. So I'm 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 super excited and I know from a Canadian perspective, I'll definitely be having uh much more interest to follow league on this year than than maybe previous years. And Chris, you know, not only you know, talk to me a little bit about Jonathan David, but also from Lille's perspective, you know, this is kind of a this is kind of an interesting signing for them because you know, with some of the names that I mentioned, you know, they picked up Victor Asimhen from uh, Belgium and they paid just over three million pounds for him. Um, you know, just j- about three and a half million dollars. Uh, when they picked up Nicola Pepe, they paid Angiers nine million. Um, and then eventually sold him for 72. So to spend $30 million on a forward like Jonathan David with, with the, the hype that he has around him with, you know, the, the amount that he's developed in the last couple of years, the only question that I would have as far as this transfer would be, is it more to, is it more to the selling club's credit for getting $30 million for him? Or is it more to Jonathan David's credit? for his skill set and how much he really has developed in the Belgian league over the last two years that, you know, for some of these guys who again have made massive money moves, I, I, I think, I think a seaman sold for just under $60 million. Um, Pepe sold for almost 80 to Arsenal. Um, does it, does it showcase Jonathan David's talent and how far he's come in the last two years in terms of his development that he would command that kind of a transfer fee? Yeah, I mean, first off, you've just you've just mentioned the fees that some of the more recent players have been sold for. Um, there's probably a little bit of of Ghent sort of knowing that Leo have got that money and and up in the price. Um, but that's meant with no disrespect towards Jonathan David. You know, he's been turning heads in Europe for and across the world, to be quite honest, for, for a few years now, and it's no surprise to see him get this move. I can't personally think of a better club for him to go to. Uh, you've mentioned the recent names there, but even going further back, you know, this is a club that's developed the likes of Eden Hazard, Divock Origi, Sophie and Buffal. You know, they've, they've got a great track record when it comes to developing young forwards. Uh, there were there were a number of bigger clubs circling him before he went to Lille. As you say, this might well be a stop-off point for him. Um, if he hits the ground running quickly there... There's absolutely no reason why he can't get his dream move, and you know, even as soon as in the next twelve months, we've we've seen players come in for one season, develop at Lille, and then go again. And they're a club that is happy to do that. They they seem to have a succession plan. If that was to happen, and he, he moved to one of these big Champions League clubs, what a statement that would be for Canadian soccer, given how well Alfonso Davis has been doing as well. Chris, I'm going to stick with you for a, a, a for a point that I had just thought of that I'd, I'd I'd like to get a little bit of conversation on before we before we kick into the rest of this uh, for the rest of this podcast. The question that I've got is is what what do you think of the recent transition of young players making those stepping stone moves for their own development? There's been a lot of big names and big transfers that have come for uh, some some pretty important players. You know, you can think of your Christian Pulisic uh, going to Borussia Dortmund before, before going to Chelsea. Uh, you can also think of Jaden Sancho, who came from Man City's academy, made the transition over to Germany, um, has excelled there and is now looking to make his uh, his move back into the Premier League or abroad. You know, Jonathan David, you're you're absolutely right. There were some big names circling around his name and have been for the last 12 months. And the move that he's chosen to make is to go to Lille, who have a known track record of developing forwards and 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 getting them to the point where they can make that transition. It's interesting to consider that it seems like once upon a time and really not in the in, in the distant past the big move was always what got made first, and you know we can we can go on this long laundry list of uh, of different names that have been hyped up in the media and have been hyped up uh, in fan bases that have moved to their dream club or have made the the the, the move to the 
the the first big name that really came to them, and then they just puttered out. Uh, their career had a, a huge stall in 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 terms of their development, and you know they they moved on elsewhere and maybe continued playing soccer in in some of the lower leagues across. You know, it, it, this applies in in the U.S. This applies in in Europe. This applies everywhere. Um, but you're not really not seeing that anymore. Jude Bellingham is another great example of making his move to Dortmund from from Birmingham, Birmingham City. So what what do you think of this transition of being heavily development focused coming from these young players? Obviously, it's a it's a great thing for the players themselves. But where do you where do you think this transition and mentality has come from? And how important do you think it is to seeing a lot more of these big names end up panning out into you know potentially global soccer superstars? I think you could probably come at that question from about three different angles. To be honest, the first one being the way that football has changed in sort of the last decade or so, I would probably say the managers at the very top clubs don't have the time or job security to, to develop a young talent. So, you know, I think they're probably quite happy to see sort of a maybe a second tier club with no disrespect meant to some of those clubs that I'll come on to in a minute. But they'll be quite happy to see them go and develop there, pay that little bit extra to, to then get the finished product and put them straight into the starting lineup. Um the pressure at the top is really high now. So you think, say, a Pep Guardiola or a Jurgen Klopp probably don't, a lot of these managers don't really have the time to, to take on a, say, a Jonathan David at the point that he's at now and, and hope that he just produces straight away. For, for the stepping stone clubs, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Borussia Dortmund. I think they're by far the best example. Uh, you mentioned Christian Pulisic. Uh, obviously, Erling Haaland's gone there. Um, Jude Bellingham's there now, Jane Sancho's there now, even sticking with North Americans, you know, Gio Reyna's there now, and we're, we're hoping to sort of see him be the next big one to come through. It, again, European football's changed where it's becoming more and more elite, and it's leaving a few clubs behind, but I think the likes of Dortmund and, and Lille, they've found their little niche now where they can get a couple of years out of these players and, and sort of maintain a, a relevant level of success and, and keep the finances coming in where maybe they couldn't normally compete with the biggest clubs. Um, from, from a player perspective, again, for similar reasons I just mentioned, uh, a Jonathan David moving to Lille rather than, say, for example, a Manchester United who've already got an incredible forward line anyway, it makes absolute sense, you know, He's stepping up from the Belgian League to the French League, which is obviously a, a, a big step in quality. Big clubs obviously scout these second-rate clubs and these development clubs. So David's probably thinking, yeah, go in, play in league for a year, try and get himself 20, 25 goals and a, a team from the Premier League or from La Liga or, or wherever will, will take a chance on me. So the, there's mutual gains across the board from whatever angle you look at it, but... Uh, it, it's a definitely a developing trend and, and one which is benefiting a lot of players at the moment. Yeah, 100%, Chris. And just like on the flip side of that, from from my perspective, I you know I tend to watch a lot of, of Man City just with regards to kind of what games we get here in Canada. And, you know, oftentimes I'm, I'm felt at the end of the match, you know, what, what could Phil Foden have done even yesterday with, with City bowing out? And, you know, Foden's a guy obviously, you know, from the area and that's the only club he's ever known. But, you know, you wonder if, if he, you know, had, had opted to go to the championship or was allowed to go to the championship on loan for a couple of years and could come back and maybe have the kind of kind of role uh, into the starting eleven that say Mason Mount has found with Chelsea after doing his, you know, kind of his time with with Derby and and, and earning his uh, his starting role. Um, yeah, I mean, for David to be a guy from from Canada and to be moving as it is to play football abroad, I wonder if if that plays a role in you know his kind of willingness to to find a home wherever that fit may be. And, you know, with, with some of these guys in, in, in English football who, you know, to be quite honest, kind of rot away on the bench, in my opinion, with, with Phil Foden and, and some other major names, you know, like this isn't a loan move for David, but in some senses, in my mind, I'd be surprised if he was there long-term. So like I said, I'm not sure this is a decision that he's made on his own or not, but you know, for a 20 year old, I think he's, he's very wise and, in making the move that makes sense rather than the one maybe he might have dreamt of growing up. Well, and you just have to think, you know, anything, anything that can prolong 
some of these players' career, uh, not just not I guess really not even just prolong, but really take off. You know, we've seen you know especially here in North America, we've seen you know so many highly touted prospects that are, that have been you know at least here in the states, the next Brian McBride, the next Landon Donovan, you know, the next Christian Pulisic, these sorts of things, and it just seems like every single time we have one of these big name players, it just sputters at some stage and you know it, it, for whatever reason you know uh, I, or I guess really for a lot of the reasons that you guys have mentioned we're not really seeing that anymore so from a north american perspective we definitely have to have to be happy about this but let's move on to what we were actually supposed to be talking about uh since i'm i should be done taking us off on too many tangents uh, brady i'm gonna stick with you uh let's let's touch on the canadian premier league and and give kind of a roundup of what's gone on there I think, in, in based on my research, the the best way to sum it up would be a two-two draw. Oh, it's been one for the neutrals for sure. I mean, <laughs> you see the first the first three matches all all finish two all, and and each one kind of have a contentious penalty. So, with regards to drama, I don't think you could ask for much more than that. Uh, but no, it's been great. I mean, you know, obviously the league's in its second season, and the, the financial security side of things, they really needed to find a way to get back to action. So. You know, I'm very excited that they were able to make it work and perhaps they had an eye on the MLS and, and they opted to go with the bubble format. But, you know, one of the one of the exciting things just from a selfish standpoint for being on the Toronto FC beat is to see, you know, the opportunity for some of their young guys actually, you know, be loaned out to these Canadian Premier League teams and, and get some meaningful minutes. It's kind of fitting where we're on the topic of, of David kind of making that move. So, yeah, so Greg Vanny and Cove decided to let some of these young kids get an opportunity to play that they might not necessarily get in Major League Soccer. So that's an outlet that that wasn't there before last year. So that's exciting. And obviously, you know, being a Canadian, you know, I, obviously it's it's my due diligence to kind of support local and, and help grow the game. And, and, and perhaps maybe, you know, the Canadian Premier League is one day, you know, where we find the next Jonathan David or the next Alfonso Davies. Well, and that last point, I think, is one of the is one of the things that I'm the most excited about for Canadian soccer is is the opportunity for for Canadians to 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 take that you know sort of step down from what the MLS is and and work within a fully functioning, self sustaining Canadian league that you, you know is going to focus largely on Canadian talent. Uh, and and maybe maybe you're exactly right. Maybe that's where the next Jonathan David or the next Alfonso Davies comes from. And and heck, you know, fingers crossed, it's going to be you know not just one or two of them. It's going to be three or four of them playing in different positions. And you're really going to start seeing that that Canadian team round themselves out because you'd hate to you would hate to have a situation for the Canadian national team like you see with you know for example Austria where they have David Alaba pull all of the strings and the strings that he's pulling aren't anywhere near the same little level of quality you know you don't want that to happen for a kid who looks as bright as Jonathan David and you don't want that to happen for a kid who looks as bright as Alfonso Davies who we'll talk a little bit more about at the end of this podcast ultimately this could be a really, really good springboard for Canadian soccer going forward. And that's, that's just honestly hard to be upset about. It is for me as an American, but for you totally get it. <laughs> we'll take this one. Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing to think about as well with, with, with this sort of, with Canada finally getting its professional league is it makes you wonder how many young talents have sort of tried to get into the game and then just give up because, there's, there's nowhere for him to go where they've got a realistic chance to, to move to a bigger league. And, you know, there's nowhere for him to go where, you know, the Canadian MLS clubs aside, which can be competitive to get into, they've, they've, there's no outlet for the talent. So given how competitive North America is for, for the sporting market, you've probably seen so many young players who could have been as good as Jonathan David or Alfonso Davis. We just give up, which it's sad to think about, but it's also promising to think that at least now we can we can stop that happening. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, we've got some more stuff that we need to talk about, so we're going to leave the Canadian Premier League where it's at for now. I'm excited to 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 cover that league and those games more in depth over the course of the rest of the the of the year as the regular season has kicked off this past week. Um, what also happened this past week, of course, which we've taken 25 minutes to get to, is the MLS final or the MLS's back final, a tournament that we've been talking about all week and we've left for the middle of this podcast. <laughs> so uh, what I want to start with, uh, Chris, I'll stick with you. This race, as we've discussed over the past couple of weeks for Orlando City's first piece of silverware ran out on Tuesday as Portland's Laris Mabiala and Dario Zupavich put two past them 
We've spoken so much about these teams, uh, but what sticks out to me from this game was Orlando's control of possession over the course of 90 minutes, which is something that we didn't really see as a major part of their game over the course of the tournament, coupled with their inability to convert their chances. I think they took 14 shots over the course of the match, and only one of them was actually even on target, uh, and that was the goal that was scored. Portland, of course, on the other hand, that we also saw them dig deeper into uh, defensive structure than we've seen for this entire tournament, perhaps anticipating Orlando's eagerness to take this trophy home and just stifled them. What did you What did you make of the final? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go on the Portland point first. Um, th- this tournament's been a bit of a surprise to me with with how they've approached it because um, down the down the years, I'm used to seeing Portland sit in and soak up a lot of pressure when they need to. Uh, you're right, they have been a bit more expansive. You know, they've pressed higher than, than I would normally expect, especially given the age of the squad. Um, with with Orlando, you know what? They've, they've got so much to be proud of from this tournament. The, the one thing letting them down, as you mentioned, is as good as Nani is, um, as much as Chris Mueller's improved, for example, they still need that centre forward who's gonna gonna get goals year in year out. You know, you see how important it's been for Joseph Martinez with with Atlanta. You know, even you look at LAFC, they've they've got about three or four guys there who who would probably walk into that team and, and elevate into the next level. So it's disappointing to lose a final, um, but I, I know fans will be will be really proud of their their efforts. I think uh, I think by the end it just it just came down to Portland's experience. You know. As I mentioned, they are really good at sitting in and soaking up pressure. Um, Diego Chara keeps that midfield locked up and, and really protects his back four. And if you don't take your chances, the likes of Sebastian Blanco, Diego Valeri, they're going to punish you in the final third. I know they didn't score, but they were, they were still influential up there. And if, well, like I mentioned, if you if you allow, uh, if you if you keep letting Portland off the hook like that, they they will turn around and punish you. Chris, you, you you made a point there at the end as well about some of the bigger names uh, in Portland's side, uh, your Valeris, your Blancos, uh, you know, even for the big names in terms of this tournament, like your Niesga does. Um, these guys were influential, but it, it was noticeably less so over the course of the game than what I was expecting. Nani popped up with an assist, but even the goal scorers for both of these sides were irregulars. The aforementioned Mabiala and Zupavic for Portland, uh, while Mauricio, Mauricio Perea netted the equalizer before halftime uh, for Orlando in the first half. Um, Brady, was it the pressure of the game from what you saw that changed some that changed the game plan you or that changed the influence for some of these big players? Uh, on on either side, uh, you know, I, as I mentioned in the in my first point about this, they they both played a little bit different game than what we've seen them play over the course of the competition. And do you think that that I don't know if hamstrung is the right word, but do you think that that dampened their their the influence of some of these big name players uh, in this game, or was it was it just down to the match? There were other names that stepped up. I guess we shouldn't be you know too surprised with. With a cup final being a bit of a bit of a cagey affair, I think anybody who tunes into the Champions League or, or the World Cup, you know the the final is very rarely the best game of the tournament. You know, like th- with the stakes so high and kind of like you said, the pressure and the 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 affair itself, just you know, kind of getting the best of some players. Uh, you know, this, yeah, this one kind of you know early on didn't really come to life. There were certainly some spells that were a bit lethargic, and and I think that was always going to fancy Portland, wasn't it? I mean, we talked about their experience and. You know their willingness to kind of sit back and and allow for their opponent to have the ball and and you know hit them on the counter and obviously they've got the they've got the players that allow for them to do so with you know Chara kind of collecting the garbage there, deep lying midfield positions and then Blanco and Valeria the guys that can just make something happen out of nothing. So yeah, I mean the both the goals obviously came from from the two Timbers center backs uh, you know, off of set pieces and and again that that seems to be a common theme with with finals. It's these these kind of lapses in in uh, concentration and and i think you know the second goal i think chris touched on this on twitter you know i've seen some people kind of debating the the zonal marking versus man marking in the box i mean i don't, I don't think that's that's what happened there on the winning goal i think that was just kind of a lapse in com- in, in concentration and, and and against a team like portland and in a tournament in a, in a one-off final that just can't happen and so you know orlando what what a run i think they deserve full marks for for everything that they've done and, and i don't think it's all for naught but at the end of the day, the team that's you know always found a way to have success in this league, at least in the last decade, was 
did it just enough to get over the line and, and it ultimately took the whole squad to get it done. Well, and to stick with that idea, we spent we spent a lot of time on on managers last week, uh, and and one we praised heavily for his work reinvigorating the club was Oscar Perea for Orlando City. Brady, I'll stick with you since you touched on it, and then I'll switch to Chris. Uh, how do you think, given what we know about his squad management efforts and really building a team mentality within his squad? How do you think he handles this finals loss as they gear up for the regular season this upcoming week? And how do you think he he pitches a run that was unexpected by all but enjoyable by at least most? Um, how do you think he pitches that run as the more defining point uh, of this tournament rather than the fact that they actually lost in the finals? Initially, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough to to kind of pick the positives out of it and you know, we touched, you know, before before we started here of just about how quickly the regular season kind of kind of creeped up after the tournament. And, you know, I hope that doesn't hinder Orlando. I hope they're not still, you know, a little bit hurt about the fact that they went as far as they did and then have nothing to show for it. But, you know, that would be a real shame because there was a ton of positives. This isn't a team who sat back and, you know, got lucky and got a couple one nils and, and a couple penalty decisions. This is a team who played, you know, they played brave attacking soccer at a lot of points during this tournament. And so that, that, that leads me to believe that, that there's a lot more to, to Orlando than than just this fairy tale kind of tournament run. I think that they're they're a team in the Eastern Conference that that's just, that they, they deserve the respect of their opponents. And I think that they showed that when their players are on on the day that they're they're as exciting a team as any, especially out east. So, you know, hopefully that they can in hindsight that they can kind of take the positives from this tournament rather than be be upset with coming just short here. Yeah, as as Brady says, um, rather than sort of coming in, coming back into the regular season, the tails between the legs. I think Orlando really need to to come in and sort of carry on that momentum now that you know they they've, they can take so much from that tournament. I think we could all agree that this is the best we've seen them in the time in MLS. They knocked some big sides out on the way to the final. I think they look, you know, we're, we're Robin Jansen and Antonio Carlos at centre back. I think it's about as good defensively as I've seen I'm sure there's, there's still the odd laps but it's a work in progress but I, I think this is about as good as we've seen them so far we, we've we already mentioned how, how much they controlled the midfield against Portland and how, how they control possession again it's not something I'd really say you'd associate with Orlando in the past fans have been full of optimism this week on my Twitter feed and, and rightly so I think if they can just get another 10% out of that, that attack they become a, a serious contender to, to make the playoffs no, and he's doing doing bits up there. He, he's he's really stepping up uh, to to an extra gear. I think if if we find that centre forward that that we've mentioned, I think you you have to take Orlando seriously. And I think everyone at the club deserves a deserves a huge amount of credit for for really making a statement down down on their their own turf. Well, and it just goes to show that they're they're on the right track, but they're not there yet, which I think is an important development point as a club, as a squad with a new manager. I, I think that's an important stage to be at and, and a stage that can often get missed if if the if the environment isn't correct and if the squad building isn't correct. Uh, and if the man management isn't correct, you know, you, you, you can you, you'll find these teams who will have these sort of stop-start bats of form over the course of a season, over the course of a few seasons, and really looking at Orlando City's preparation for this tournament and looking at their performances through the final, um, they look like they're at a more important development point of on the right track, just not there yet. And it'll be exciting to see how that continues to develop. Brady, I'm going to slide back over to you again. Due to work commitments on my end and what I'm sure was Chris looking at the time when the lineups were released and noticing that Paxton Pomacall was not uh, even in the squad for this match, that uh, neither of us got the chance to see the uh, the Dallas-Nashville game. So it's it's all on you, buddy. Yeah, first off, I just I just wanted to confirm for the listeners that, that Paxton Aronson is actually a real person and is not just a love child of Chris's affection for, for Paxton Pomichol and Brendan Harrison. So I'm pretty sure up until you just confirmed that, I believe that he was uh, the brainchild of Chris's love for Paxton Pomichol and how much we have talked about Brendan Aronson on this podcast. I think he's going to no, be the best yeah. U.S. player of all time. Just, just going to say that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, it's name alone, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I mean, Google's a hell of a machine, and, and that kind of confirmed that for me. No, I mean, that. yeah, this this Dallas-Nashville game was was exciting just based on the fact that we hadn't seen either of these teams in so long. And, 
and with Nashville especially, I mean, we really don't know a whole lot about this squad. They they had they had two chances to kind of show us what they could do early on in the season, and and I mean that was so long ago. I don't know about you guys, but it was it was an afterthought for me with all the with all the MLS action we've had, obviously down in Orlando. But yeah, I mean, for them to get their first victory I, without going into great detail about the stats, I mean that was the, that was the one stat that mattered at the end of the day, and then they came out on top one nil and. And we touched on on Miami earlier and how they've brought in Matuidi. And obviously, you know, it's kind of, it's it's not time to panic, but it's it's certainly time to turn things around. And, and obviously they're the only team now to to not have picked up a point with Nashville earning their first ever victory in this one. I mean, Dallas is, is, is quite a side. And the, the biggest reason I wanted to tune in was because I thought, you know, they were a little bit unfortunate to not get a chance to contend for MLS's back. I thought that they would have been one of the genuine favorites. And so to see them, get upset in this game, I guess was kind of on brand based on our, our predictions as the tournament went on. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Nashville certainly, you know, they did their job. They were out possessed. They, they, they were out chance, but you know, they, they were patient and, and they got their substitutions right. And David Akam came off the bench and was exactly what you want in a substitute. He was a real difference maker and, and he was lively on the ball. And, and, you know, four minutes after coming on, he was able to, you know, kind of find the, find the back of the net there and, and, and be the match winner. And so, you know, kudos to to the coaching staff for getting that decision right. And, you know, we, we kind of touched on the cam and how he seems to be, the, you know, never the guy, but always kind of a reliable guy for whatever team he's playing for. But no, I mean, to beat Dallas, especially on the road, is a, is a massive result for Nashville moving forward. And so, you know, I'm certainly ready to, to kind of start looking at them seriously and, and see if this is a one-off. Well, and hopefully they'll be able to take that same mentality, you know, especially for for an, an inaugural season for for Nashville SC. We've and we I know we've mentioned this point a few times over the course of the last few weeks, but inaugural seasons can be such a slog of of poor results and inconsistency. And you, you'd have to say that you know, obviously, both of them are out of form; they're out of match fitness. Um, Dallas, on paper, is is nine times out of ten the better team. But you would hope, or at least Nashville SC would hope, that they would take that victory and say, you know what, if we can grind it out from time to time, then maybe maybe we can take that mentality, we can take that style of play, we can take this sort of rigid defensive structure that you had mentioned that you that you'd seen in the game, and 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 use that to propel us forward into this this next season, and and really find out after a year's worth to figure out what we need to do to progress to the next level come their sophomore season next year. So all credit to them. It's an excellent performance in in their third official match of the MLS season uh, in, in 2020. And uh, hopefully they'll be able to build on it. And for Dallas, you know, again, we know what Dallas is capable of. We know that the, the team that they put out wasn't, wasn't ready like nobody was ready to 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 really get kick started off with with regular season games and you know even for the the highlights that I was able to see in that match Dallas looked like Dallas they just didn't quite have the end product so uh again it's it it'll be interesting to see how Dallas comes back from this but with the quality that they have in that side you would assume that they will I think just just want to throw in a quick point on Nashville I think with uh, with Inter Miami coming into the league this year everyone's kind of just overlooked them but I mean, before before play was suspended, they looked genuinely good against Atlanta United and were basically done by two really good goals. Uh, they held Portland, well, I would obviously held Portland, they lost, but only 1-0. And obviously they've gone and, gone and beat Dallas 1-0 this time. So they've only conceded three goals in three games. And we we touched on David O'Connor there and we were talking about him before we started recording as this guy who, you know, he's never going to be the, the one of the best forwards in MLS and he's never going to play for one of the top competing sides, but he's a guy that you can always get consistent out, output from. I feel like if similar to into Miami were, or say Orlando were, if they just get a forward, I think, I think their expectations change massively, but they've, they've gone under the radar so far, given the team that they joined the league with, but I think fans can be really optimistic from, from the first three games. Well, in shifting focus for the last time, I promise, on this podcast, I want to take a look at an area that we haven't really taken a look at uh, over the course of the, the 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 young history of this podcast, and that's that's some North Americans abroad. Under normal circumstances, you know, uh, during more traditional league play, we may not have a whole heck of a lot to talk about, but with the conclusion of the Champions League quarterfinals uh, this past week, as we look forward to the semifinals, we had 
a couple of North Americans specifically that had massive, massive performances, uh, game-changing performances. Um, and I, I want to shift focus to them for a little while uh, as we look to close out this podcast and 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 just highlight their their efforts. And the first one that I want to start with um, is Tyler Adams for RB Leipzig, with a side that boasts big Bundesliga names like Kevin Campbell. Marcel Sabitzer, Conrad Leimer, Emil Forsberg. Tyler Adams has spent the last year really developing and breaking into you know a, a first team rotator, so to speak, uh, in in this Leipzig squad and against an, an Atletico Madrid side that is well known for their defensive structure and tactical now when working with a so called smaller team. Tyler Adams came on and scored the winning goal from distance to send Leipzig to a semi final appearance against Paris Saint Germain. A bit lucky with the deflection after the keeper had already moved, but kudos to an American in the Champions League having the audacity to have a late-game crack-it goal from outside the box towards Jan Oblak, arguably the best pure shot-stopper in the world. Brady, what did you make of Tyler Adams' cameo in this Leipzig match that that ultimately ended up to be you know a match-winning performance, even if even if short? I think it's worth mentioning as well that the the pass that, that comes into Adams is, is from Angelino being a, a former NYCFC player himself. I think that was a, a hell of a moment and a hell of a, a combination from a couple former MLS players there. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the you know, the buzz in, in American soccer circles on social media was certainly was certainly pretty great after that one. And I mean, I seen Grant Wall give a shout that perhaps that was the biggest goal an American's ever scored on on the on the European stage and you know it's kind of tough to argue with that I think it, it's undoubtedly the biggest moment of Adams's young career but and as you mentioned he didn't start in this game and, and and to be honest I've had a keen eye on the Bundesliga this year especially being the first lead to come back and he, he's kind of bounced around under Julian Nagelsmann he's he's finding his identity and what his best position is in a you know in a, in a level that you know is probably a little higher than what he's been used to in MLS but I mean like you said to you know, to have the confidence against against Atletico Madrid to take a shot from distance and be fortunate or not to be the difference maker at the end against such a decorated club. I mean, massive moment for Tyler Adams, massive moment for American football, and and I'll be excited to see what kind of role he might play in the semifinal. Absolutely, and again, you 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 focused a lot on his development, and for. For a guy who hasn't got as much hype around him as some of the other midfielders that have come through, obviously, you know, the big name is, is Christian Pulisic, um, you know, but even Weston McKenney uh, at Schalke, it seems, it seems like we've heard more about Weston McKenney for Schalke because he tends to play a little bit more of a regular role in that side. But obviously, with the, the strength uh, of the squad of Leipzig, you wouldn't automatically imagine that Tyler Adams would go and, and fit himself into that team. But the case that he's making for the, for himself is with with a lot of transfer talk around the likes of Emil Forsberg and with a lot of transfer talk, even more uh, based on recent weeks uh, uh, around Conrad Limer, he's making a, he's making a case for with a sale or two becoming a regular. And I think that's not only important for, for his development and his career, but also it's important for the U S men's national team to, to continue having these, these starting role or starting role players in in Bundesliga sides and league on sides and and the Premier League and you know maybe we'll make some breaks into the league in Serie A at some point in time but you're starting to see a lot more from him uh, and again that goal was just it was great to watch for a US men's national team fan myself um Chris I'll switch to you for the other guy and I guarantee you Brady's going to have some talk about him as well so we'll get there eventually but in a match with so much narrative outside of young Canadian winger converted left back Alfonso Davis it can be hard to zoom in and really pick apart his game from the Bayern Munich Barcelona quarterfinal that ended 8-2, which is just goodness gracious. But as we attempt to zoom in, uh, once you do, my goodness, what a player this kid is. After shifting back to a left back so David Alaba could play as either a center back or a defensive midfielder, he's been a revelation for Bayern this season as a flight-footed, skillful cog in an electric Bayern attack, and he's not terrible defensively either. He torched the right side of Barcelona on numerous occasions in the Champions League quarterfinal, but none more talked about or retweeted than his assist that he earned on the night in which he takes three Barcelona defenders completely out of the game with a mazy twisting and turning run that ran more than 40 yards. Chris, talk to me about Davis. My goodness, is he is he looking like a real, real player for Canada? Yeah, I think uh, I think half of my career at the moment seems to be spent just sort of 
pining over over Alfonso Davis and just, just talking about how good he is. But you know, if he keeps pulling out performances like this, then I'm just going to keep talking about him. A lot of the replays you saw on on online were basically Davis standing Nelson Semedo up one v one and then just absolutely roasting him. But it it is important to mention that he picked the ball up a lot further back than that and turned out of some pretty decent Barcelona pressure to, to even get in that position. So nothing seems to phase the kid on the ball. And, you know, Nelson Semedo is supposed to be one of the quick guys in, in that very slow Barcelona team. And he just, he made it look like he was running through treacle. And then to, to pull out the, the ball for Kimmich at the end and, you know, spot his run, it's a sign of, of how intelligent this kid already is with, with the ball at his feet. Looking further back at the other end of the pitch, because as you'd mentioned, he, he's not bad defensively either. Obviously, a lot was made about how just how high Bayern's line were in the fact that they just weren't scared of of Barcelona because of the lack of pace. And obviously, Davis was right right at front and centre of that. Of he was pushing so high up, but the amount of times it broke behind him and he just sort of seemed like he was going in second and third gear, just cruising back, making interceptions, making tackles, getting in before Barcelona could break on him. It's it's both a testament to his ridiculous pace and to the intelligence that the guy has for for such a young player to to know when he's got to sort of get back in and do the dirty work. So without going on about Alfonso Davis too much, because I want to leave a bit of room for Brady, um, an incredible performance as part of an incredible Bayern Munich team. And I just can't wait to see him in action again in the semi-final. And Brady, you you have to be excited, especially looking at where they are now. Um You've got to be excited about watching Davis and, and and David line up next to each other in 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 some in some international matches here pretty soon. Talk to me about this Davis kid. Talk to me about how impressed you've been, uh, and 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 talk to me from a Canadian's perspective how important it is to see to see a guy like Alfonso Davis excelling at the absolute highest level in an incredible side that is Bayern Munich right now. Well, I'll tell you how important it is. I, I actually celebrated a birthday on Friday and I was supposed to go out with some with some friends for a drink and told them, listen, I, I've, I've got a match to watch here, so I'll, I'll, I will catch you after. And, and obviously when I showed up at the party, they're, they're all like, oh, did you see this run, this Davies kid? And, and, and it felt like, you know, there's some pride in that to be able to say, you know, you're watching a, a Bayern Munich Barcelona Champions League quarterfinal and this Canadian youngster is, is making such a difference on the game and you know, arguably had the one big highlight of the match. And, you know, I think like, like Chris said, I mean, these mazy runs that, that he kind of went on leading to the assist or something we've seen for years now from him, but to have the poise and, and then the mindset to, to just square it for the tap in for Kimmich, that's the kind of stuff that has really come a long way in the last, last year with him. And obviously playing in a Bayern Munich side, that's just so lethal and are just looking to go forward as quickly and as often as possible. And what a, what a great fit for his skill set and, yeah, I mean, it was just such a joy to watch. I mean, against the Barcelona team that's obviously been so dominant the past 10, 15 years, they just looked, I mean, they were so far off the pace. And and, and like you said, Semedo being the one guy that possibly could have been the solution. And and he, he really had no answer for Davies all night. So, yeah, I mean, obviously 8-2, to two, he, he assists one goal. It's not necessarily the defining moment, but it's certainly one of the big talking points. And you know, to have Marcelo, Marcelo posting about him on Instagram, one of the great left backs in recent memory, just talking about how enjoyable it is to watch this kid. Uh, I'd have to, I'd had to relate with Marcelo on that one. And, and I don't think he's done making his splash on this tournament, which, like I said, from a Canadian perspective is, is certainly unique and one I'm, I'm definitely not taking for granted. You're absolutely right, Brady. And and again, you know, especially looking at the impact that he can have and already has had, but it, it, especially as his development continues, looking at what he can do for the Canadian national team once international matches kick back on again, why you, you can't be anything other than excited. Um, you know, obviously uh, us south of the border are, are, are terrified at the prospects of, of Canada leapfrogging us in the international standings and but from a from an objective point of view, again, when you look at the development of Canadian soccer, and especially with the aforementioned Davies and David, you can't be anything other than impressed. Uh, but on that note, 
we are going to go ahead and end this podcast this week. Um, this has been episode six of the North American Soccer Show. We will be back with more North American coverage, whether it be the MLS, the Canadian Premier League. We got gypped a little bit by the MLS uh, starting their season so quickly uh, on the back of the MLS's back tournament. So the scouting pods that we mentioned last week will be coming, uh, probably not quite as soon as what we all would have liked because we've got some exciting conversations lined up for the near future. But uh, you will see some of that stuff coming out from us. Uh, and 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 again, we're, we're excited to have you guys listening here and one thing I want to mention for the very first time this week before we get to content plugs with Chris and Brady is that you can find World Football Index on Patreon. You all know what Patreon is. You all know what it's about. And uh, at the end of the day, one of the things that helps keep the not only keeps the lights on, but also allows us to continue to procure and bring to you the best content that we can with the best experts from all around the world at this stage is your support on Patreon. We do a lot of Patreon-exclusive content, not, not only in terms of uh, extra scouting podcasts, both on specific players and overall teams, but we also have World Football Index's city guides from around the world. With all the experts that we've brought in over the years that live all over the place, embedded in cities all around the world, we bring to you access to a snapshot of what that city looks like being within it. For $6 a month, you unlock 22 special Columbia series episodes straight away. You get a minimum of two extra episodes per month, as well as one of those football city guides. We live in a strange time right now with the pandemic creating financial uncertainty across the globe. But if you've got access, if you like what we're doing, if you enjoy the content that we're putting out, both on worldfootballindex.com as well as through the audio medium, feel free to gain access to this extra content. Support World Football Index, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And on that note, I've been your host, Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter at DLN underscore BKR. Uh, and again, joined by Chris Smith and Brady Reed. Brady, where can we find you on Twitter and what can we expect from you this week? Yeah, as always, uh, I'll be on Twitter at Brady Reed underscore. And, and it's going to be a busy week with, with the Canadian Premier League playing every other day and, and the Canadian MLS teams returning. So, you know, if that's something that interests you, uh, certainly just keep an eye on the social. And Chris, we know you've got your hands into just about everything. <laughs> if Paxton Pomacall is not on that lineup tonight, can we expect anything from you on Dallas? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, um, I think my, my plans for the week are uh, having a little sort of in-depth analysis on Orlando and seeing the difference that Perea has made there. And then I'm having a hard-earned couple of days off going on holiday, having a little chill and then uh, coming back hard for the uh, Champions League semifinals. And you can find me on Twitter at CJSmith91 if you want to keep up with what I'm doing. And that brings us to the official end. Again, this has been Episode 6 of the North American Soccer Show, and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>